podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, good afternoon. This is Naishad Gadani coming to you from Melbourne. And I'm the co-founder of Career Care Package. And I have, you know, yesterday I've, I I told about the word that I invented, uh, which is called optimism. So I think that's what we will be calling ourselves now is delivering optimism <laughs> in the time of COVID-19. Just not hope, but delivering hope and optimism both so that's what we call optimism if you want to if you want to continue to uh, you know uh, kind of make it viral please do that because it's a, it's a very cool word um, but today today is going to be a question answer session that means you ask us question and we answer it for you and as we do it on all the Fridays uh, you are welcome to join us in LinkedIn live and ask us question you know we will you know as caroline mentioned we don't bite and obviously this is a perfectly socially social distance <laughs> you know, we can never get get to you so i think this is this is a great way to uh you know for you to come online and even if you don't have a question just come and say hello and how you are enjoying it what you are learning out of you know listening to our musings uh, for last four and a half months approximately four months now and this is our 90th episode and we have got some really exciting things planned for the week leading up to our 100th week and we have we have all the spots really filled out so all those guests and our in our few listeners who jumped in the wagon and say yes i want to be part of it a big thank you to you because it is you know it is we are relying on your sharing stories of hope and optimism to make that week really successful and sensational and also inspirational for many many listeners out there so if you got question drop in into the linkedin live feed and we will pick that up and answer that for you and i will soon drop in the link if you want to be part of linkedin live come and say hi to us before we start to take the question let's welcome caroline brown Thanks, Neshad. You know, optimism reminds me about what kids do at Easter time. They get optimism about, you know, the Easter bunny coming, basically. So that's my little, that's what I think. It's very excited children at Easter time. I used to get really excited. But uh, yeah, so yeah, thanks. thanks. It's going to be um, a great session. It's a beautiful sunny day outside in Melbourne. Really nice to get around with face masks, which I must admit are very weird to, to wear. I feel like the Darth Vader sometimes when I'm trying to talk. So, um, but uh, I wanted to kind of kick off the session today talking about this thing about being yourself because it gets bandied around so many times about, you know, how to succeed in an interview and how to be yourself. And it's an easy thing to say and a really hard thing to do um, because I think it really does come from self-awareness so how do you be yourself if you don't don't know yourself or or not even like yourself and often um i think that you know we give it as a simple answer to succeeding in an interview but there really is a lot of work i think that goes on behind that to to really understand you know who you are and what you want and accept that but quite often we fight against you know who others think we are or who we think we should be or who we're trying to please Sometimes we don't even know it. So if you're struggling with that idea about, oh, I just need to be myself, have a think about whether you know, you know, who is that person? And if you're struggling with that answer, then think about maybe getting some help around that because, um, you know, doing things like, some, uh, you know, counselling and, and um, you know, even a, like getting a life coach, whatever, 
anything around getting that real insight about about what really makes you tick versus what you know is a pat answer or you think might make you tick it's a it's a worthwhile investment in doing so um yeah i i know that you know we we give conflicting messages we say be yourself but answer in this way you know what's the right answer and um sometimes you know if you if you don't really know yourself then those things are conflicting you know it's a really difficult question to answer and i know for a lot of my clients when i work on resumes and linkedin profiles i get them to fill out some questions and the first question i ask people is uh what could you do all day at work without being paid you know just to tease out i guess what tasks people love to do and people find that the hardest question to answer so it's a really common thing not to know yourself so um, I would recommend if that's you and you're getting a bit stuck then that's okay it's very normal and maybe some, invest some decent time into trying to figure that out of you before you you try and find something that suits you so that's my soapbox for the morning or the afternoon so um, if you've got any question guys please um, please uh, put them in the chat because we'd love to answer absolutely so i've already put the link if you want to be part of linkedin live then just yeah. click on the uh, probably paste the link in your browser and then it would be easier for you to come in i think uh, you know kara you you mentioned about about be yourself and you know we had an informal chat on on this as well i i highly recommend uh, everyone to watch a, a talk which was done by Harmia Ibarra, and I'll probably put that onto LinkedIn Live feed as well. Um, she talks about the paradox of authenticity, mm. and and it is a fascinating take on this. You know, just like what what we have started to discuss, be yourself. Which self are we talking about? Because we have many possible selves, which are just not one self. You know, I'm. I am, a, you know, a dominating self when I'm talking to my kids and when I'm in the office, I might be, might get dominated as well. So which self are we talking about here, mm. right? So I think be yourself is, is a very great, uh, you know, idea which has got, you know, which not, not many of us can really connect with. But what, do we, what does it really mean? If I'm shy or if I'm introvert, Right, and if if you say be yourself, then I'll probably won't even talk because that's that's the self that I know. That's the self that I have grew up with. That's the self that I have uh, nurtured over a period of time. It's nothing wrong with it, but that's so. Which self are you talking about? And in the mm. next line, you know, when we are all equally guilty of this, is to say now be confident. Say, hang on, you you know you are conflicting messages. Do you want mm. me to myself? Or do you want me to be confident? Because being confident is I have to really reinvent myself. I have to probably relook really at how I uh, how I act and how I behave. It's a it's it's probably required a deliberate effort to be confident. Uh, you know where where your natural self is something else. So I think it is a it is a fascinating uh, you know discussion that we all must have. And that's what her, you know, the uh, Herminia Ibarra is. She's a she's a researcher in organizational development, and she has written a book called "Think Like a Leader and Act Like a Leader." It is a fantastic take on these these really core things around that you know. And she cites an example of a CEO. A CEO was a data driven individual, an engineer, and that's what she knew. But the chairman of the company wanted her to be more storyteller, to to inspire people. And she find she found herself in this conflictive situation. Is that look, I've already turned around the company. I'm already kicking all the goals. Now you want me to be doing something, and I am finding it very difficult to to really engage with that, uh, you know, that that storytelling. I'm not that person. Mm. So then, how do you really handle that? You know, and also, you know, one of the things that she highlights, which is pretty fascinating, said the word authentic is is probably one of the most, you know, in, in management, in career, we have seen this word coming over and over and over again around authenticity and being authentic brand and everything else. And she says that, they, you know, in, if you look at Google search, you know, the word authentic, you know, goes this way. But 
at the same time the word trust goes this way so wow. say it's, it's not it's really not making any sense right if 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 you want people to be authentic people want to be more authentic then the then it has to follow by trust you know yeah. this, but but we see that the trust deficit is now more you know look at look at our discourse in you know in business discourse or political discourse or anywhere else you would see that everybody's you know is big on being genuine and being authentic and everything else but deep down we think nah that's serious it doesn't make sense because you know we, we have less trust on on lot of our political system we have less trust on what corporates do right so i think that i think it's it's a you know if if you detach yourself and watch this you might be able to see that you know it is more uh, more conflicting and paradoxical than you know than what what lot of us have been saying yeah. about about this this concept of authenticity yeah what is say hello to amit manihur hamangi thanks for joining us and somebody that is coming up as linkedin um linkedin user on my screen so um hi i'm not sure um, who that is you might be able to see on um, on the comments Nash. it's an interesting thing I mean I guess also it's okay be yourself like you say there's many selves or there's a few selves and I hope you know generally they've got some of the same core right so maybe the authentic thing is or the be yourself thing is be be the person that helps you know the person that wants to play a particular role in this particular team and that's a, a role that you're comfortable playing for the time that you're at work and when I say role I don't mean faking it I mean you know you're the per you you have um, a position in the team and a, a, an attitude in the team or a perspective in a team that you can bring to work that works cohesively or meets helps the organization meet um you know, meet, meet its goals or, or whatever. Sometimes I think with recruiters saying be yourself, it's almost like because uh, I want to put you in or put you out. Do you know what I mean? It's like I want to make a quick decision type thing. So um, if, you're a, if you're a bit of a dick, then I want to see that really quickly <laughs> in terms of being yourself. I'm not sure. I'm a bit cynical about it. So, um, yeah. if you got questions please uh you know drop in the question i, I want to tell you was you know very simple uh strategy that one of my client used uh of one of one of the you know, training that i'm delivering and I, I told i told him that look you know it is okay for you to you know to talk to people without much expectations too you know, when you call a recruitment consultant or when you follow up with something if you if you are ready to fail then there are chances that your success chances will increase because you know, just like you know just like when kids run to uh, kids start to ride the bicycle right if they are focused on failing if they are focused on getting hurt right that's where that's where they get hurt more because they are focused continuously on that right but if if if, if they consider that failing is going to be part of it right and it is okay they're most likely to get the balance fairly quickly. Mm. I, I, you know, then what this, uh, you know, this client did was, you know, he reached out to a recruiter uh, for a job and the recruiter said that, look, you know, that job is filled. But he persisted with a polite conversation with the recruiter, not at all, you know, uh, you know, you know, why did I miss, you know, tell me about the feedback and everything else. But he persisted with a very polite conversation with this recruiter look that's absolutely fine i do understand and sometimes you know the applications do not match as well so i completely trust your you know your process and and do let me know when something arises mm. uh, this short conversation with that recruiter i he said i don't know what happened the recruiter called me the next day and said look we may have another position for you why don't you come down for the interview and he said that at that moment when he allowed himself to fail when he allowed himself that it is fine for the other person to say no to me and the other person feels that he or she has freedom to say no they are most likely to say yes because i have the freedom 
Mm. And I, I think that's that's a that's a really simple thing. Uh, but I think you know, for for all of us, right? I have approached in this um, you know in this time approached many people to come on on our show as a guest, and some of them have agreed, and some of them have said no. And I consistently said that no, still I continue to have a chat with them. I'm not saying that just because they said no right now, that means that they are going to say no forever. I mm -hmm. remain in touch. I I continue to send them information which which keeps keeps the conversation alive, which makes them feel that you know what we are doing is something you know remarkably well and mm -hmm. something which which has got tremendous value to the community outside. So I think that that's a small kind of you know thinking shift that uh, that we all can do to, to get the job or build the career that we are looking for. Mm. That makes sense. I've got a question from MTS. Hi MTS, great to see you here. Um, how do you cover gaps when writing a resume and a cover letter? Should you explain the gap or let them ask you? I've like, I've heard mixed opinions on this one. Do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I guess there is mixed opinions. It depends. I mean, there's a few things. How big is the gap? If it's a year, um, you might, you know, and you will get a question. So why not invite a question on it? Um, we've spoken about this before. It, you know, um, it depends on your reason as well. So, but a lot of people feel embarrassed about having a gap where you know you might have had a career break you might have gone traveling you might have had kids um you might have been a carer um all of those things i think if there is a break um in your resume you can expect to be asked about it what have you been doing um and i think you've got to think about how that time has contributed to to you developing as a person um even the idea of just having a refreshing break and going traveling is a, a great a great thing so um yeah i i tend if i put if i put it on a resume i tend to have something around this is what i've been doing in this period and this is what i've learned learned from this period type thing um if it's a short time i don't tend to i don't tend to um, say too much about it it's almost like you're being a little bit defensive so um yeah it's a little bit a little bit situational but certainly expect to be asked on it um, if it's been a significant time. I mean, a, a break on your resume from, you know, February or March this year, everybody knows what's what's been happening. But still, I think people will be asking you, what have you been doing during this time? Um, you know, to keep yourself occupied or to learn new skills or to develop something. Um, you can expect definitely to be asked um, what you've been doing and also what you've been doing to find a job as well because I think that people want to know that you're you want to work so you know how have you approached your job search what are you and also assessing you for how likely it is that you're going to be offered something while I'm in the process of perhaps offering you a job as well so yeah that that's my take on that yeah, I kind of agree with everything that you said, KB. I think we, we also need to look at that, you know, taking break of six months or, or being unemployed for six months, I I seriously doubt whether that's a, that causes any concern for the employer or even before pre-COVID also. I don't think so that the employer or recruiter would mind that, oh, what were you doing for six months, right? I think I think it's an acceptable thing. But if it goes beyond six months, then yes, you know, you are, you know, you should explain that rather than they coming up with all the assumptions. You should explain that. It probably takes two, three lines on your resume, on your cover letter to really explain the, you know, the gap. Maybe you took on, uh, you know, maybe you were made redundant and you took on a qualification or maybe you took on to care for uh, family members. When I worked in occupational rehab, we had number of people who will have email, like will have gaps on the resume because of their injury at work or because of transport accident. I remember one guy that I worked with, KB. He had fourteen years of gap. How many? Fourteen years. Fourteen. Yeah. yeah. And because he was involved in a very horrific accident, he had acquired brain injury. 
and that took two three years for him to just completely recover and then a lot of mental health challenges and then family circumstances so i think i think yeah 12 to 14 years gap and i created a one-page resume for him if you look at it the first instance you'll not find out that he had an employment gap but you have mm. to ask him that you know so i create there there's some ways creatively that you can hide them as well but it was a very very uh odd you know situation where i had to really be very creative and he ended up getting a job in two months time mm. right you know as, as what he used to do beforehand but explaining that is is fine i don't think so the employer wants it but before that imtiaz important thing to to accept that that there's an employment gap mm. it is not wrong you know, I, I think that's another thing to to uh, really, uh, you know, understand that, you know, in COVID or pre-COVID or even post-COVID, if you can genuinely explain that why you had a gap, people have no problem yeah. with it. I just you know, wanted to add to that because 14 years is um, a long time, but you can think of it in a way, and it's almost like your, your resume is like it's completely new, 14 years, I don't remember what I was doing last year <laughs> 14 years is a blur well not quite but but you can think about okay just use it what what skills do i have now what what study have i done or how have my experience shaped what i want to do now but then you can refer back to the past and go 14 years ago i had this job that left such a powerful impression on me that this is part of the story of how i know i want to move forward so and, and reposition it, um, reposition it that way because essentially that's getting close to what we're talking about is like the truth of what you're presenting. You know, the real the, you're not embarrassed. There's no shame around it. It's it's what it is and and how it's shaped you. And you know, if that 14 years ago didn't shape you, then don't don't talk about it. But um, you know, if there's something that you were doing that really struck you as amazing and you loved, um, that's the seed that's planted type thing. So. Yeah. Um, question from actually, I can't just going to scroll up on the screen here because I know there's one I missed. Um, from Hamangi, should I add my odd jobs experience on my resume? I'm applying for an accounts related job. I think you should. You should put because they are they are still uh, you know skills that you have developed in accounting as well. Oh, sorry, in the other odd jobs as well. If you worked as a as a waiter, if you worked as a, um, you know, in McDonald's, if you work in uh, Woolworths or Coles, I think there are skills that you acquired. So I, I think it is still important for you to demonstrate that you, you've got that, that experience of working in Australian work culture. You've got experience in, you've got communication skill. You've got ability to take instructions. So I think they are useful. However, I would not put so much emphasis on that, that experience on the first page of the resume. If I am looking it up because I've just developed a resume of an engineer and he has he's been working in Coles for the last two years, but you would only find out his Coles experience when you go to the last page of the resume. Before that, the focus is on the internships that he has done. Uh, he has done academic projects. And that's what the focus has been. The focus is on the skills that he has acquired in those, uh, you know, uh, six years of his study. And that's what the focus has been on. Obviously, when people scan, you know, they will go and find out, oh, so you're an international student. You came here in 2018. So what have you been doing? They will find out those things, you know, what you have done, you know, highlight them. But I think the most most important thing is to talk about the the stuff that relates to your accounting field be it an internship be it any work experience that you have done that relates to it focus that on the first page of the resume that's my take on that yeah no that's good i guess it depends on it, it depends on um the type of accounting and what level you're at as well so um you know yeah, if you're going for an entry level graduate type role, then some of, you know, there's, there tends to be a pathway that you're expected to take to get to, to that first role. So if you've had, you know, casual waiting experience or Uber driving or, or whatever, then, you know, people tend to go, well, that's what you tend to do before you, you land your first job. So it's not 
um, abnormal. Um, if you've had a series of odd jobs for a year or so, just using that frame, this is just sort of a, a random ex example and may or may not be applicable, but you might pick something out of it. You know, if you've had two years of, or one year of doing some odd jobs and it's been three months here and two months there and whatever, I wouldn't be listing them out individually. I'd be describing that in terms of, you know, 2018 to 2020 um, part-time and casual roles. Um, and then pulling out the one that is probably most relevant or demonstrates some skills that are relevant to the role that you're um, applying for. So there, there is different ways that you can actually do it, but you've got to think about what are they looking for and how can I show that you know, um, on, on the CV. Um, yeah, another Excellent. question. Excellent, good question. Yep. Should yeah. I take this? Um, so I'm a junior PM. I think the name is Azar. Azar, thank you. Welcome. Uh, I'm a junior PM in title, but the nature of my job has made me to act as a business analyst in parallel with project management. When I'm applying for a business analyst job, should I change my title to BA or keep it as what I am and focus on BA achievements in my CV? Mm. So I, I think, uh, you know, I think I could, if I were you, I would probably keep both the titles on my, on that business analyst and project coordinator. Uh, you know, I would, I would keep it both because, because if, if someone's looking in the ATS as a project coordinator or, a, you know, or, or a business analyst, right, either or, you, you know, you want your resume to be picked up by them. In, when you really create that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, section for your for your experience as a, as a project coordinator, you can actually highlight those things that I have done, you know, uh, the role eventually became into a business analyst role and these are the things that I've achieved. In terms of highlighting those, uh, highlighting what you need to highlight, I would probably focus on if you're applying for a BA role, then highlight the the uh, achievements as a business analyst, if you're applying for a project management, project coordinator role, then I would suggest you focus more on the project coordinator coordination skills rather than the BA skills. But in terms of title, I would have, I would probably keep both the titles and also I would keep the same titles also on my LinkedIn profile too. Project coordinator and business analyst. I don't think so that you know people will be put off by why do you have two titles, right? Mm. They will not be put off by that because if you work in a smaller organization, you might end up doing three roles, not even two roles: project coordinator, mm. business analyst, and sometimes sales support as well. So, you know, if you you know you need to highlight those things, uh, and so I would I would to to summarize, I would keep both the titles but I'll change the content of the experience based on the role that I'm applying for. KB? Yeah, and both of them are connected in a way. I mean, they are connected. They're obviously, like you say, sometimes one person is doing both things or they work very closely together. But it's like, you know, how does your experience as a BA inform your work as a project manager? How does your work, work as a project manager inform your um, experience as a BA. I tend to set those resumes up with a small career objective saying, uh, you know, highly developed skills of doing as a business analyst, as a project coordinator across these domains, um, now seeking to add value as both of those roles. And because it's not like they're completely unrelated, unconnected roles, and it is quite often that you might be doing that same, you know, have both of those things under your umbrella or your duty statement um, in your role as well. So, um, and the issue is when you sort of have CVs that look wildly different, then people, you know, do look at your LinkedIn profiling um, for validation often. And so that they might go, well, actually this person is saying they're all BA, but there's a project coordinator or project junior, junior PM role on, on their LinkedIn profile. So, um, you know, you don't want that to be contradictory. So if you, on your resume, saying wildly passionate about being a BA, and that's all I want to do, and then suddenly somebody looks at your LinkedIn profile, it's a bit contradictory. So they're not, and um, you know, I, I tend to, 
uh, on the front page, depending on the role, is just a high, like Nisha's saying, have um, you know priority given to the actual role that you're applying for in terms of the achievements that you might um, showcase. All right, that's great. Uh, thank you, uh, Azar. Hopefully, we've answered your question. Um, we got a question from Balin. Balin, welcome again. Uh, so the question is: Most of the time, we see a recruiter posting a job with a line that uh, PM me, PM me. Okay. If you are interested, oh, okay. Once, once you send the message, if they never come back to you uh, at all, what could be the reason? Can it be a ghost job? Ooh. Could be a ghost job. Could be they're overwhelmed. Could be that you don't have the right experience. Could be that they've left the company. Um, could be they found someone. Could be that the role's been filled by someone else. So, um, but unfortunately, the common thing in all of the, those scenarios is that it is pretty common not not to hear back um, from recruiters. It, unfortunately, um, and particularly now, I think because people, depending on the sector, are getting overwhelmed. Um, if you can find another, uh, this is a bit of a, a hack that some of my clients use, is um, finding a way to have you get um, referred to a recruiter. So. Um, you know, I've, I've had clients of mine that have gone and met people, this is from a networking point of view, that have headed up uh, meetup groups for um, analysts, business analysts. And um, the person that headed up the meetup group that my client met um, introduced him to a recruiter, said, speak to this recruiter and use my name and they will interview you. And that recruiter actually came back and offered a job. So you've got to find if you're finding that you're being ghosted, there's different ways to try and um, form a relationship with a recruiter apart from applying to an advertisement that, you know, a lot of other people have applied for. And I, that scenario has happened quite a few times. It's, um, you know, trying to use the word of mouth even when you're actually trying to get your face in front of recruiters. Absolutely, Marlene. And the last thing I would say that that might be a ghost recruiter too. So you never know. Yeah. That might be a ghost recruiter. A ghost recruiter. So, yeah. Oh yeah, it could be an, a bot on the on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't know how many messages are on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. Uh, but keep the questions coming, everyone. Uh, and as I said previously, if you want to be part of the LinkedIn Live, you can come and drop in, uh, just like how you drop into a friend's home. You can drop into a our LinkedIn live and say hello to us and then disappear, whichever way works for you. Oh, you, absolutely say, fine. you can't invite a guest in nation then go and then you can disappear. Just, you know, you're welcome, but you're not welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that's pretty rude. But but yeah, feel free to feel free to drop in. Um, and uh, one of the things that I also wanted to mention that we I was approached by a recruiter today and they, uh, she's looking at filling a position in HR administration kind of a role, HR administration kind of a role in Melbourne. So if you know someone in Melbourne who can work in HR admin, she said, you know, at least one year of, one year of experience, not more than that, and she'll be ready to, uh, to talk to you. Please, um, please connect with me or send that person that you know might be uh, fitting the criteria. Connect them with me, and I will then introduce the, you know him or her to the to the recruiter that uh, has approached me. But thank you, uh, you know, for the recruiter who's approached me. I don't want to name her because then others should be bombarded with requests and everything. So. So yes, so Amitias, how about some coffee? I fully agree with you. I don't know how can you drink coffee in Bombay in this humid weather, uh, you know, at day 11 o'clock in the morning, but yeah, you can. In Bombay, is he? Yeah, he's in Bombay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so, so but good luck, you know, good luck with that. I'm, uh, I'll be having tea once I finish uh, LinkedIn Live. But uh, but yeah, any any other? I think one of one of the questions that I think uh, Caroline 
I've been asked I've also seen on, on LinkedIn also, is around this, uh, you know, now LinkedIn has come up with this open to work thing. Ah, yes. you, you kind of you kind of wear that as a as you know as they wear it in in the beauty pageants that you wear <laughs> that <laughs> now solving world hunger so it's like does it does it really does it really make a difference or or not in in terms of does it improve my chance of being found or not uh you know on linkedin um, what are your thoughts on that, KB? Uh, as in being found? I, I don't know if it's... As in improving, improving the chances. Sorry? Improving the chances. I suppose it's a quick visual thing for people to recognise that you're open and make it easier um, to, you know, you don't have to... Like somebody comes up in a search, you see that and you go, okay, tick, tick, tick type thing. Um, yeah, I think uh, I don't really have any strong thoughts either way. I guess the thing about it is that people are searching the database assuming that you're open for work, right? If you've got a LinkedIn profile, there is an assumption there that you are right to be plucked off LinkedIn and brought in for an interview. So, but I would assume if it's a quick visual reference, because you see the green, um, that's a way of shortcutting a search for. Um, perhaps a job that's in demand or not in yeah perhaps a job that's they're expecting hundreds um be interesting to ask a few recruiters about that um when we're talking to them i think so yeah yeah uh this is a good question from um paris how does one follow up on seek applications when there's no uh, contact information on the job ad See, these are the same employers that are complaining often about skill shortages. And it's the same sort of thing as saying only successful applicants will be contacted. It's like we want to pour, you, you, you know, you to pour your heart out into creating a beautiful application and spend hours on it or days on it. But then we're just going to decide, meh, or yeah, type thing. It's, um, but how you follow up, I, I don't have a secret um, source answer for that. I know... Some of my clients have guessed the, the company, like taken an educated guess at the company and looked up the recruiter on LinkedIn um, and contacted them that way with mixed results, like it hasn't always worked. I did have one client that guessed the company um, a few years ago and she was really charming and really persuasive, wanted to put an application in and it was almost, or she was just after the due, due date or cutoff date. So she rang the receptionist and got chatting to the receptionist and she charmed her so much that the receptionist said she would print out her CV and put it at the top of the pile. It, it's a bit of a fairy story. Like, I, I don't think that, you know, you have to have a certain type of personality and gumption to do that, but she was really good at it. So I don't know, have you got any ideas? Yeah, I, I think this has happened to recently with one of my client applied for, um, Deloitte runs a return to work program for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for, for moms who are returning to work. And she applied for the role and the recruiter in fact called her. But the recruiter did not leave a phone number back. And, uh, you know, it was came from a private number. So now she's, you know, she's like between rock and a hard place. I don't know what to do. So I said, look, you know, rather than being, being uh, you know, frazzled by that, do you know anybody in Deloitte on your LinkedIn profile? She said, yeah, I think I know. I said, okay, tell them. Tell them the reason that, look, I got contacted by by this recruiter, uh, you know, who manages this particular position. And for life of me, I cannot find her. I can't contact her because she didn't leave a phone number. Is there a way that you can find me the number because of such and such? And this guy, in fact, gave her the number and she actually you know, got hold of her. Hmm. So I think, you know, now this is also, a, it's not a fairy story, uh, but it's a, it's a practical way. I think, I think we forget the the amount of uh, you know the the perseverance and the thinking that we have when we remove the job out of it. Okay, mm -hmm. if 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 you if you have to find somebody for your business, you would you would actually do everything to to get hold of that person. Mm -hmm. But somewhere when when it comes to job, I think we become quite conservative in our approach. We feel that, oh, no, can't say that. 
Yeah, yeah can't do that. Can't say that. Can I call a recruiter? Why not? Like mm. literally, why not? You are not selling anything unethical, illegal. <laughs> You're not selling drugs or vapor. I, I love mm. that line, Ash, because that's your favorite line. But it's so true. And Karen has made the comment here. Yeah. Um, agrees with what I've said about being referred to recruiters by a trusted member of network. As a former recruiter, I'd always recommend picking up the phone and calling the recruiter introducing yourself a voice at the other end of the phone often has more power than an email and uploaded job application totally yeah i fully i believe that we have with linkedin with especially with with the advent of linkedin i think people are losing the art of our art of talking to people and mm -hmm. really calling up them and having a chat with them i think we a lot of people a lot of a lot of job seekers tell me oh nishan i got connected and i've sent a message but if sending a message was to make the difference, I think you, no one would be unemployed, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think about it, I, me and Caroline would get probably 10, 15 messages. Now, genuine messages, right? These are not a spam message, but genuine message for help, for request or follow-up and everything else. For a recruiter, I think he or she might end up getting 100, 200, 300 messages easily. Plus, on the top of the, the email. So, if you if you're really really smart and switched on, I would probably use LinkedIn less to contact a recruiter, unless you see them active. And then, if you send it to them, then it will make a bit of difference because they might be able to see that. But but I would still would suggest you to pick up a phone call and talk to people. You know, really do that because that will really help you. To talk and, and when you talk to people, sometimes you'll be surprised the questions that you get, and mm -hmm. then you have to think on your own feet and answer those questions. So I think there's so much value in picking a phone call and talking to recruiters rather than sending them emails. So mm -hmm. thanks, Karen, for that shout out. Okay, uh, let me just have a look here, scrolling down. Da -da, uh... Mahinu says, after applying for a position, if the job advertisement doesn't have a contact, no email, is it, it, it is through the career page in the company. How do we follow up on the application? Um, the application doesn't have a, a deadline. Um, when should we follow up? It is, I, I think, minor, similar. Sorry? Yeah, similar, similar thing as we discussed previously. I think if there is no deadline, what you know, what you have to consider is probably three days, four days maximum. It is you are well within your rights to do a follow-up. You know, don't wait for one week or 10 days. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and sometimes this has happened and I'm pretty sure KB with your clients too. Sometimes when you get hold of them and say, oh, what's your name? Oh, Naishad. Oh, let, let you know, hold on for a second. Oh, no, no, no. I can see your application. All right. Okay. This is what you've done. This is what you've done. Okay. That's very interesting. Okay. Let, let me let me shortlist and then I'll get back to you. At least you get that chance of talking to people. Now, if for any reason, if you can't find, get hold of them, well, you bet you can't get hold of them. you got to accept that, that, you know, sometimes you will not be able to to speak to them you know if you talk about big four or banks and all those big places even though if you go on website you can't find their numbers right mm. so it's going to be very challenging i'm not suggesting that it's going to be easy but for small and medium-sized uh you know companies employers or for recruiters i think it is possible for you to charm your way and talk to the talk to the person and the way you charm you know charm your way is to practice is to pick up a phone call and talk. I think in five, seven, eight phone calls, you'll pick up what works and what doesn't work. Mm. Balan says he's tried to, I think means tried to call, but a rejection letter comes two minutes after the call. Um, yeah, it's it's not, look, Balin, I must tell you that it's not surprising at all. And, and you know, what me and Caroline have been talking about is, you know, in a way, we both come from a position of privilege too. Uh, you know, and, and we we recognize that. Uh, and we also recognize that it's it is uh, a real, real difficult uh, in a job market outside. And you know, not, we are not even taking away that lightly. 
Having said that, I have not come across with any dramatic strategies in last four months. It's the same thing, but you do it more with more diligence and with more focus and with more intensity. That's what I can tell you about it. Uh, you know, and, and rejection letters do come across. Yeah. If you don't call, the answer is always going to be no, isn't it? If you don't try. So, and I also think, you know, it, it's not a reflection on you often. Like there might be something that you've left in your message or the way that you've interacted with a recruiter or the tone of your email or the spell, spelling and grammar, you know, all of those aside, like there might be something or, or you don't have the right experience or you don't for, for the wrong or they might, do you know what I mean? Like that that is a very real scenario. So with all of that, you want to try in, in eliminate what it could be, like all of the things that you can control. So, if you, you know, get some advice on your resume, um, get some advice on your LinkedIn profile, get some coaching on your communication or interview skills, make sure that you're applying for the right jobs. I mean, this is what um, we were speaking about yesterday uh, with our guest where she was saying um, her, she was spray and pray to start off with and then she went, really went, went focused. And I think that's a really, um, good thing to, to think about because I think a lot of people do that. So really have a look um, at what you're doing and, and try and make sure that you, you are, you know, that everything is working for you and uh, as much as possible. And there is, if, if, if you can't afford professional help, there is good help out there at the moment um, with places like, is it, it's not Project Displaced, it's Job for Australia, and there's a couple of others as well that will offer you free free assessment so you know go and get go and get that kind of help and then if you've done all of that and you've done what we've said around trying to follow up and being friendly and that type of thing it is the nature of of, of the work um or it is the it is the nature of the game so absolutely um, we can't go back to find finding place people that are going to be your advocates in the job search as well um because you know we've heard a number of stories this week around how well that works um, you know your advocate can give you some good advice on what might what you might be missing out in in your approach as well so agree agree thanks marlin and you know that's right suril gavaskar said keep on knocking till the time opportunity opens the door right he's my childhood hero uh, so thank you for reminding a beautiful uh, what Sunil Gavaskar said for those people who are non-Australian or non-Indians. Sunil Gavaskar is one of the legends of cricket, uh, the game uh, you know, the game that the Australia and India both love to compete and uh, you know the, for the supremacy. So thank you, uh, Nikhil. Hello everyone. My question is: Will the college student or university student be affected due to this pandemic? Uh, you know, in recruitment, or say, if any student wants to work from home, what will be the recruiter's approach as academic activities and internships are reduced to students? How will they judge a student now? Because I'm not really clear on the question, but I'm guessing that you are asking about if any student wants to do work from home and he or she has to balance the academic activities uh, on the sides or internship, how will the recruiter see that situation? Uh, if that's your question, I'll, I'll probably, you know, uh, take a dig at that. Uh, you know, I think I think that goes into explaining, uh, you know, your current situation to the to the recruiter or over the phone or in, a, in an email or even a cover letter. Don't, you know, don't underestimate that people, uh, you know, that people are not able to understand situations. If explained properly, they explain in a positive way. People are more than happy to take, you know, risks on other people too. But you have to explain. And secondly, be clear on that. You be clear, then don't apply for a job that may not give you that flexibility. Because you might end up, you know, accepting it or you might end up getting into an interview and then saying, you know what, uh, I can't work 25 hours. I can only work for 15 hours. I can only work for these days. I think you might end up, you know, damaging your reputation with that employer. As I think Vidita 
mentioned yesterday that if she sees the same person applying for different positions in this, you know, you know, within the same, uh, you know, chain, then she would probably delete that all and would never contact that person because she doesn't want to waste time and energy behind people who are unclear of what they are looking for. So that's what I would say, Nikhil. But if you're, if this doesn't answer your question, feel free to type that again. If you got time, then we will take that on or, uh, you know, uh, send me or Caroline the question. Mm. That sounds good. Um, just looking at um, some questions here. Um, Manuhu says, uh, on a different note, why are all the people who want to help and proactively interact with job seekers placed in Melbourne? Because Melbourne's the world's most livable city and we're very kind people. <laughs> Sorry, my, you know, I think you're stuck in Sydney, you know. Yeah, my, my... Sorry about that. <laughs> like... well, right, right now, I think a lot of people will say sorry about you being in, in Victoria. But, <laughs> no. but 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 I, I think I think we know Melbourne Melbourne sits way above Sydney. So all you know, Ithias, I think from Sydney might get offended and might uh, you yeah. know log out from LinkedIn as well. But uh, but you know that's the truth. Actually, um, at the moment, it doesn't matter where the advice or help is coming from. I mean, it's funny because uh, before the pandemic, I was running a group, uh, did my program in a group. Now I'm doing it one on one, the straight to shortlist, and it's actually didn't like we were quite reluctant to suggest zoom to meet with people um and also if somebody was in a different city it's like oh no they're you know in brisbane they'll never chat to me but because everyone's so used to zoom like um it doesn't really matter where people are, are coming from in terms of um being able to support you or help you or, or give you some good advice and truthfully from a um mobility point of view there are a lot of people that are based in Sydney that work in Melbourne and vice versa. So it's sort of people are, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane tend, seems to be sort of the, the hub of where, you know, a lot of the more uh, well, bigger companies and, and, and professionals are as well. So um, might just be a coincidence, the Melbourne thing. Um, but yeah, I can guarantee at least two really nice people live in Melbourne. So um, <laughs> Amit's question is LinkedIn job space has promoted jobs and regular ones. What's the key difference? Does promoted jobs mean that they are paying additional to, to LinkedIn to get a resource? Mm. I, I look honestly, I don't know because I've never posted a job on LinkedIn. I don't know how that affects um, a job seekers uh you know job seeking ability or what shows up on the linkedin you know mm. their page honestly i've got absolutely zilch idea on this one i mean so i can't really answer kb have you got any any insight in that no i would imagine and i'm just taking a stab but i would imagine it's like if you pay for google adwords to put your ad at the top and maybe people you know that it's higher up so people actually more people will see it or maybe they distribute it to more people with um, in terms of how they, um, you know, promote uh, jobs coming up on the side as well. So um, I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. We've got a question. So Intia, thanks. Uh, Intia saying thanks for the great session. I think you said that before we take a dig at uh, Sydney. So we are fine now. You can't delete the comment now. Um, we got a question from Paris uh, that I'm not aware if this is being covered earlier, but apart from LinkedIn and uh, CV, how welcoming are recruiters to review a candidate's personal website or related business website for a freelance consultant candidate? Have you, have you got any experience in that? Because I think a lot of the time tech recruiters do go and check. I think there's a, a website where you where the software developers put their um their codes and everything on github i might mm. be wrong uh yeah. i think i think um i think vidita was saying or someone else said that i think michelle was saying that if if there is if there are extra things that they have done if they have listed mm. that on 
on their um, on their LinkedIn profile or on their on their resume, they are hmm. most likely to go and check that out. But Katie, have you got experience in that? I think it's about relevance, isn't it? So, um, I, depending on the job, um, you can assume that you might have your reference checking, for example, might be your online presence, and you put your name in Paris and Paris has got a website, I'll go and have a look at that, oh, he does da-da-da-da-da type thing. Um, I've got a client I'm working with where they want to see a portfolio of content design. So um, I think, it, I guess you could, if you're gonna present something like that and you wanna use it as an argument to hire you, you've got to explain the relevance of it, right? So, um, why am I showing you my website? Do I want you to see everything that's on my website? Is it an illustration of my great design skills, my great copywriting skills, all the projects that I've done? You kind of want to, if you're going to use it as a resource, tell people what to look for on it. Don't just assume that that's going to illustrate some mythical thing or let, let them guess that about you. Um, you. Also, I think you've got to make sure that the messages are aligned too. So. Um, if you're going to direct somebody that says, uh, you know, like you're a great copywriter, but all over your website you've got, you know, products that you're selling. I don't know. Just you just got to make sure that they, those those things sort of match up um, in terms of what you want to want to get across. But I would use it like if you really want to showcase that, it's like visit my website and on this page, you know, you will see examples of da 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 da, -da um, of what I've I've actually. Um, done to demonstrate my, my skills as well. So, or you will see testimonials or, or something, but direct people, tell them what they've got to go and look for on, on your site rather than making that, you know, just um, a huge example illustrating something that they've got to wonder what that is basically. Excellent. Yes, so hopefully we've answered all the questions and thanks everyone to me uh, for being part of this. Even though you've watched it, you've contributed to these. Yeah. LinkedIn Live. So thank you very much uh, for your presence. And uh, and yeah, so this is uh, the way it is. Uh, we are going to wrap up today's LinkedIn Live and we will be coming back to you again on Monday. Uh, Caroline, do you want to leave people with something? Uh, yes, please follow the hashtag. Um, I forgot my own hashtag for a second. It's Friday. Follow any hashtag. <laughs> no, follow our hashtag, Career Care Package. You'll get last show, the last few shows that we've been on, um, what's coming up, uh, what we're promoting about the show. We're really excited about the week of our, leading up to our 100th show. We're going to be celebrating optimism. We'll be telling you more about what that is next week. But, um, really feel that this is a time where we draw upon all of those resources for ourselves you know what makes us tick what what makes us happy what keeps us focused what keeps us optimistic when have i done that in the past they're really powerful questions to ask yourself so um thank you so much for joining us and asking questions it takes a lot of courage to actually put yourself out there and actually ask questions um for other people to learn from as well so hopefully what we've done today has been very helpful for you Absolutely, KB. Now, next week, next week, we are going to go, we are, we are talking Monday on empathy, empathy as a skill that we all will need in the future, future, which is complex, volatile and filled with artificial intelligence and robotics and machine learning and deep learning <laughs> and whatever. So we are going to, we are going to, we're going to have a look at that. And on Tuesday, we are going to talk to two uh you know to uh, corporate uh you know professionals but how they are switching on to starting on their own so that's going to be a fascinating chat then on wednesday we are going to france and southern france i know it's a beautiful part of the world it's super, it's and super popular in france and in north carolina i don't know how, where that's coming from but anyway just yeah. So we, we are talking to Tara Kull. She is, uh, you know, an, an English uh, communication trainer and she's going to be joining us talking about communication. And then on Thursday, we are going to talk to a project manager 
Vineti Anand and about about change and about uh, you know resilience and all those things. And on Friday we'll be back again doing question answer. So have a great safe weekend. If you are a Victorian, mask up. Uh, don't go venture outside for anything apart from essentials. And look after yourself. Look after your loved ones uh, and your family. I will see you soon. See you on Monday, 3 p.m. Uh, Melbourne time. Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic please reach out to us we would love to do that until next time be well